It's time for Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast with your host, outdoor writer Pete Rogers. We're coming to you from the Hunter's Blend Coffee Studio. Hunter's Blend Coffee, defending hunting one cup at a time. Now, let's get into this week's show. Welcome back to Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers, and today we have with us a special guest, He's a native of New England and has worked as a certified wildlife biologist in the southeast for over 30 years. He has a BS from the University of Vermont and a Master's of Science from the University of Georgia in Wildlife Management, extensive experience in whitetail research and management, and written and published extensively on deer habitat and population management in the southeast. He's a past recipient of the QDMA's Deer Manager of the Year Award and currently the chairman of the Deer Committee of the Southeast Section of the Wildlife Society which he has served for 28 years. He's president of Shea Wildlife and Environmental Services, which provides deer management services to ranches and farms across the southeast and midwest. He's an avid deer hunter and has taken numerous Pope and Young Whitetails. And he's also considered to be, by many, one of the nation's foremost experts on chronic waste and disease. Please welcome to Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast, Mr. Steve Shea. Hey, Steve. How are hey, you, Hey, Steve. Bud? How's it going? Hey, Ralph, Vicky, glad to be here. Glad you invited me. Well, first off, we can't thank you enough, you know, just to give a little bit of history to everybody. You know, we, heck, we've known each other for nearly 20 years, you, you know what I mean? And and I remember a conversation, but it, it had to be 15 years ago, that you would t- we'd start talking down, sitting at Hoppies, talking about CWD. Remember that? I sure do. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, buddy, you, you know, and and I'll I'll never forget what you told me because I've I've actually repeated that numerous times, you know, and, and that is the biggest fear. And this was back then. You made that statement. The biggest challenge we will have in the future is it's called CWD, and I'm like, huh? You know what I mean? And and I guess that leads into yeah. What is it? Yeah. What is CWD? All right. What happened? Is, is, is in, in the world of the deer, there's, there's these prions. Uh, it just doesn't really matter what those are. But these prions, once they are taken in by a deer, and we'll talk a little bit about how that happens, in the brain, in, it, in everyone's brain, there's certain proteins. There's proteins throughout your whole body. Well, this prion causes those proteins basically to malform, or just, it, uh, it basically malforms them. And these malformed Proteins in the brain is what causes uh, the paralysis and, and different neurological disorders, just like, like say, Alzheimer's is in, in humans. Well, it causes a similar type of reaction, neurological disorder in the deer, which ends up leading to their to their death. Now, okay. Now, here's a question because now we are, and you know, Steve. We're we're playing a little dumber than we are. You know that. You know what I mean? Because we want people to understand this from A to Z. And and knowing that, that hopefully right now our first whole conversation on this is more of the basic and we'll go in more depth later. But a lot of people right now are seeing on social media, there people are sending these little videos of a deer just standing there. And it, it's like on the side of a road and it's not been hit. They're and calling They're calling them zombie deer. You, you know what yep. I mean? Is this yep. is this what we're talking about? CWD. Well, that definitely is a, is a common symptom of CWD. Is uh, the fear of people and that normal behavior where they just kind of stand there, kind of dumbfounded. Uh, you know, but there's other diseases that can have similar uh, symptoms. 
Um, you know, but the, the, the thing with CWD is, is, uh, it takes 18 to 24 months, uh, for a deer that's infected to actually start showing symptoms. So, you know, for a two year period, a deer can look fine, act fine, but is actually a carrier of the disease. But once the symptoms start, it's rapidly progressive. And so it's just a matter of a, a few months that deer will show all those symptoms and die. Um, and, uh, and so what you're reporting is when some people may see the deer in its final stages uh, when it becomes symptomatic uh, before it passes. And, and those behaviors you just described are a common one. So what is you, – you, you had said earlier, Steve, that, that there can be a long incubation period for this disease to be in a deer. Did you, did I just hear you say that can be 18 to 24 months or can it be longer than that? Uh, well, in the, in known cases where they know when actually uh, transmission or infection occurred, they know that from 18 to 24 months, it may be longer, it may be shorter. I'm, I'm sure that the, the range of time is different depending on the individual, but that's the average amount of time uh, through research that found is 18 to 24 months. Now, now, Steve, like like when this occurs, when CWD, you know, occurs or let's say incubated when it's in there, is there a possibility that that deer can survive or is it destined to die? No, there, it is a, there's no cure. Uh, once it's infected, it's going to die. There has been no uh, research or studies that show that deer can survive this at this time. Now, there, there have been some genetic studies that show that certain genotypes of deer, it may take a little longer to kill them, <laughs> uh, but they're all, they all die. So, uh, you know, um, that's one thing that we know for sure is, is that uh, it's, it's a terminal uh, disease that the deer are going to die from it. Well, let me ask you this, Steve, because I think one of the big questions a lot of us have is, where did this come from? Yeah. When did it start? When was it first diagnosed? I mean, what is the origin of the, of the CWD? Yeah, well, in leading into that question, it's an important thing to know. There are a few other TSE-type diseases that are prions, formed from prions. Uh, one is in cattle, uh, and it's, uh, it's, they call it BSE. And the other, another one is in, in sheep, and it's called scrapie. Now, there is a rare form in humans. They call it Crouse-Fault uh, Jacob disease, but that occurs in only like 350 people per year across all uh, North America. But uh, the big thing, what people believe is that possible that uh, e- that C- CWD came from uh, scrapie. Uh, you know, b- back in the 1940s, um, scrapie was a, a known uh, TSC that occurred in sheep out west. Uh, and at that time, uh, some speculate that mule deer, that their range overlapped with scrapie-infected in- sheep uh, on the front range of the Rocky Mountains, uh, that that's where the disease may have jumped. Uh, from uh, from scrapie and sheep uh, to uh, mule deer uh, in, in, in its form with mule deer with CWD. Uh, but that was the, where people think that it came from. Now, the first known CWD uh, in deer uh, was identified in the late 1960s in a Colorado research facility. So it was actually a captive population. Uh, and then in 1981, it was found in the wild uh, in Colorado. And by the 1990s, it had been reported in the surrounding areas in northern Colorado and southern Wyoming. So out those western states there is where it was first identified and it was first known to occur in wild deer populations. And you had sent us a map to kind of look at with the um, 
the occurrence of where the CWD is. And that's, I mean, that's a really heavy area out there in the West where you're, we're on that map you were showing us. Yeah. Yeah, If you look, yeah. Most of Wyoming is totally covered by it. Yeah. All of Wyoming, just about all of Northern Colorado, uh, you know, Western uh, Kansas and Nebraska. So you can see that during that time, how much the, the occurrence has grown and spread across those Western states. Hey Steve, here's a question. Back in the late '80s, you know, I had my I had my elk camp. You, you know what I mean, where we were hunting out out in uh, Central Colorado, um, and we came across I we we had found seen a couple bull elk that were in like almost like a a blood soaked velvet. Their antlers were the growth wasn't there. They were real gaunt. Um, and they were telling us that it was it, it was because the the elk got on um, uh, wacky weed. It, it was uh, I, I forgot. Oh man, I can't remember. Um, but the, it was a, it was a plant that had no nutritional value. And this was at the time period that you're talking about. Could that have possibly been like CWD? Ah, uh, it's it, it's possible without having inf- more information. It's difficult to tell. It could have been that the disorientation of the of the elk uh, from the disease uh, caused it, you know, to uh, damage or uh, or caused the uh, velvet antlers to bleed because they weren't real careful about navigating through the brush and whatnot. So that it is possible, but too too little information to tell. Okay, Eliofer, right? Eliofer plant or whatever that was. I think the name of it. They said that these elk were getting on it. They were eating it, and it had no nutritional value. So it was literally they were addicted to it, and they were eating it and literally dying. But but that's why I was, I was just asking. That was I remember years ago. When, you know when I when I first heard about it, and that was in the late eighties. Yeah, but, but but you know one of the things that's really interesting is is if you see if you look at that map and you see all the different spots of uh, CWD that are now occurring, you know, uh, east of the Mississippi River. Uh, a lot of uh, scientists uh, speculate, and there's evidence to support it that. Translocation of deer uh, among uh, you know captive herds behind high fences was one of the ways that it accelerated the spread of the disease and started it in other states that were far from its known uh, occurrence area. So uh, that's why a lot of states are, are uh, uh, you know prohibiting the translocation of deer uh, servants uh, you know to the different states so they minimize transmission of the disease that way. Um, so that, that's a really important point to note is, is uh, you know, that's I think we think that's how the disease spread so rapidly over such great distances because we were helping it inadvertently, not knowing. Right. Not knowing and and people transporting those deer back and forth. And, you know, just like a lot of states right now, um, you know, for example, if, if we, we, sh- we we we're hunting out of state and th- and that state has CWD, you cannot bring the, the the animal back. You have to you have the skull plate completely cleaned out. You, you know, and and, and everything right. else. You can't bring the brain or any kind of spinal right. anything with yeah, you. Yeah, it's really yeah. good to check your check your regulations to know that because some states they don't care and others like my home state. Right. If you're hunting in a state that has CWD, you have to follow certain protocols in order to bring that animal back into the state. Well, you, you know what, too, Pete, I mean, even if if they don't, why can't we be stewards? And, right, and, right. and even if, if it's not required, right, Steve, would that not be a better thing for all of us to practice? Well, let's educate the listener as to as to how to do that then. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and definitely. You know, uh, later in the discussion, I'm I'm going to talk a lot about what hunters can do uh, to help minimize uh, the the spread and risk uh, of uh, you know spreading CWD in their state and other areas that they hunt. You know, you had mentioned that uh, it's thought that the spread east is done by uh, by high fence operations. So my question that is. Would that be deer farms where they're breeding deer to capture urine and and uh, estrus glands and all those kind of things, or is it locations where people pay to go hunt, or both? Uh, it could be both. I mean, you know, a lot of people that have captive uh, herds uh, have varying uh, reasons why they do it. You know, uh, but uh, you know, just movement of deer. Uh, now there's pretty strict uh, testing requirements. Uh, but, you know, I think so now there's so limited uh, options for people to be able to translocate. I don't know if you can in any states now, uh, but whatever damage is done, it's already done. Um, and so you just don't know uh, what animals have been moved that, that could have been carriers of the disease. But one thing we do know is that right now uh, on that map, there's two Canadian provinces, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan, and 24 states, you know, those in the Midwest, Southwest, and some limited areas on the East Coast that have confirmed uh, cases in wild populations now. And if we think about that, we say, oh, my gosh, you know, but but we're catching it, you know, relatively early. If you think about, you know, how many counties across the United States have native deer populations, I think there's over 3,100 of them. And there's less than 300 or around 9% that have known cases of CWD. So it's, it's, it's relatively small. We're catching it early. The challenge is, is, is how we can slow it down. And, uh, and granted, there may be a lot of other areas in the country that have CWD. They just don't know it yet. Different states have different monitoring programs and testing programs, and some don't have any at all. Uh, and so there are probably other uh, CWD areas in some states uh, that aren't even known yet. So, uh, you know, that's, that's disturbing, too. And so, the only way you can actually check for it is, is actually by having a carcass, correct? You can't actually go ahead and capture wild deer and do a test on them, correct, without actually killing them? Yeah, you, re- you really need a, a, you know, a sample of the brain, uh, the spinal cord, or, or tonsils. Uh, that's where those prions, uh, you know, aggregate uh, in a deer that's infected. And so those can only be done, uh, you know, after the deer is dead. Now, there are some research that has been done where there's some limited success uh, testing uh, console uh, tissue uh, from live deer. Um, uh, it's like it's been relatively accurate in whitetails, but not elk. But that's very impractical, uh, yeah. you know, from a wild standpoint. So you basically just have to use a deer you know so gotcha well let me ask you this if someone was to 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 take a deer or you know some kind of servant animal um in a state that has cwd can it be transmitted to humans is there a certain way that we need to handle that meat or that animal to protect ourselves from that uh being transmitted to us yeah well the biggest thing is, is most most states that have uh known occurrence of cwd uh, they will test that animal if, if, uh, if you want. So what I would recommend to all hunters that if you're hunting, especially in the CWD zone of another state, uh, is to, you know, bring, uh, the head or, or some materials that they can test to have that animal tested. That's, that's one. Uh, now it's going to take some time, you know, before you get those results back. Uh, so when you have that animal processed, and a lot of people, you know, they're taking that animal from a different state back to their state. You need to let the processor know 
hey, would you please uh, process my deer separately? You know, don't mix it with, you know, how some, some places they mix it all and right. they give you whatever weight you want. Uh, have them do it independently and then you just freeze that deer and wait and, and, and don't eat it until you get the, the, the test back. Uh, it's a lot of work uh, to be able to do that, but that's probably the safest way uh, to ensure that you're protecting yourself. Uh, the other thing too is um, is when you're cleaning a deer it, from a, a CWD state or, or known zone, you know, try to protect yourself. Wear uh, you know uh, uh, rubber gloves. You know, you know, uh, try to not handle the the organs and brain matter. Uh, you know, as, as little as possible. So just take extra precautions that you normally wouldn't do, say in the past. Uh, and uh, like I said, there's no evidence that uh, you know those prions can infect humans at this time. But it's, it's, it's better to be safe than sorry, you know. So if the if the test result comes back positive, should you throw all that meat out, or do you handle it differently, or do you cook it to a certain temperature, or no? It's what uh, the CDC recommends is do not eat that deer. Uh, um, what what I would do is contact your state wildlife agency and ask them what the proper uh, or recommended uh, method of disposing uh, of that uh, meat is, and 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 do that. Um, so that's that's really important, you know. Okay, so if you don't know, like, um, and and correct me because you're the biologist, because uh, I do a lot of of wild hog hunting and and you know with the pseudo rabies and brucellosis and all those kind of things, you know, I've been trained that if you freeze it for a certain amount of time and then you cook it to a certain temperature, then you've killed everything in it and you're safe to eat. But you're saying with CWD that that may not be the case, right? That and that and that's one of the problems with a CWD. Uh, and we really didn't talk about that transmission, but those uh, prions uh, can be, they're very tolerable of, of temperature and an environment. And they have found that uh, when they're deposited in the wild uh, through feces or urine, that they can persist for years in the environment. So, you know, you could have uh, CWD positive animals and take every one off the landscape. I know you could never do that. Well, the area is still can affect other deer once they become established because they stay persistent in the soil and water. So that's what makes uh, this disease even more challenging and the reason why some of those traditional methods we could do to, say, sterilize the meat uh, won't work for this trial. We'll be right back with more Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast with your host, Pete Rogers. Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast is proudly brought to you by Alps, Easton Archery, Browning Firearms, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, Delta McKenzie Targets, New Archery Products, Muddy Outdoors, Cyclops Lights, Boss Buck Feeders, Hoyt Bows, Hunter's Blend Coffee, Hunter's Specialties, Spy Point and True Glow. Welcome back to Ralph and Vicky's Off Grid Podcast with your host, Pete Rogers. We're coming to you from the Hunter's Blend Coffee Studio. Now, let's get back into this week's show. So, Steve, this this goes back to one of the first introductions I, I had said earlier. 15, 18 years ago, you had made the statement that the most detrimental threat to deer hunting is CWD and just listening to you and knowing what we 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 know about it i mean th- this is this is not <laughs> people need to take this seriously I, I mean they need to understand it and and grasp what what 
what the what what yours and the other biologist the knowledge of, of having this and what it could mean to the future. Yeah, and, and you know, Ralph, a lot of it too is is just the unknown. Uh, you know, to, to date, there's there's no strong evidence to suggest that CWD can be transmitted to humans. However, it's not known if people can get infected with the CWD prion. And, uh, you know, CWD prion has been shown experimentally to infect squirrel monkeys uh, and also some laboratory mice that carry some human genes. And then there's an additional study that began in 2009 uh, by Canadian and German scientists, and they haven't published it yet, but uh, they're showing that um, macaques, which is a monkey that's genetically closer to humans than any other animal, can be infected with the CWD uh, prion. And so all these studies, even though there's no conclusive evidence, it kind of says, well, we just don't know. And some of some of this suggests that we, we need to be really careful on, on how, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, deal with CWD, uh, treat the meat, and what risks we're willing to take in regards to uh, uh, taking deer and processing deer from CWD known uh, zones. So. so if a person wow. processes their own meat like I do, I don't take mine to a processor. Um, and and I live in South Carolina, which, thank goodness so far, there's been no um, reported cases there. But if I'm coming here from Illinois to South Carolina, where would I take that to be tested? Well, the, 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 the big – well, the, the, I wouldn't worry about it so much in a state that there's no uh, known occurrences that are currently testing for disease. Like, you know, the extreme southeast seems to be pretty clear right now. Uh, you don't know for sure. Uh, uh, but you know, states that have, uh, known cases of CWD, they'll have, uh, testing, uh, um, locations where you can drop off heads, you know, so they, they have actually certain places on their websites and in their brochures that actually direct hunters where they can take, uh, you know, their, their samples to get tested. Yeah. Actually here in Illinois, just so you know, yeah, we live in Carroll County. But Ogle County is a CWD county, right which is just down the road from here. And they have a place where you go ahead and you drop the head off and whatever else they want. And they would go ahead and do the testing for you. And if you're having right. the, if you're having the deer mounted, you would just cape it off the skull and leave them with the head. Right. You can skull cap it skull so you can go it. ahead and do it and drop the rest of the head yep. off for them. Okay. Yep. All right. And I was saying that because so that the listeners would know right. what no. to do. And actually, because as we're talking about this, so like I just said, we're in Carroll County, Illinois, okay, northwest yeah. corner. And Ogle County seriously isn't a mile down the road from us, but Ogle County is a mandatory check CWD. You shoot a deer, you have to go and get it checked. Okay. Okay, but we don't here in Carroll County. But again, it's only a mile away, which kind of makes you wonder... Like, maybe we need to go. Our game warden, Steve Beltran, yeah. always telling us, you know, we need more samples. Yeah, but those but deer won't cross that county line. No, they don't cross, they, they don't cross the county they line. Yeah. No, it's the other side of the all. tracks. No. They're not going to do they that. Won't, they won't cross that creek. No way. No. Uh-uh. No. They know where the line is. <laughs> you know, St- Steve, you, you, you touched on it, but, but what, what can we, all of us hunters, do? Uh, I mean, what could we do better? Uh, well, there's a lot. There's so many different things uh, that we can do. One of the things is, and, and Ralph, you're Ralph, Vicky, you guys have helped promoting this. Is uh, is learn everything you can about CWD. The more you know, and the base of your foundation is stronger on CWD, you you'll have the common sense of things to do and things not to do to help minimize the spread 
Uh, one of the big things, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, contact your uh, state fish and wildlife agency. Uh, you know, QDMA has a lot of information uh, on CWD, the Deer Alliance. There's actually a CWD Alliance that also has a, a bunch of online information available. Uh, so, so that's really important. The other thing is, is uh, it's, you know, CWD and Ralph, based on our conversation 15 years ago, a lot of this stuff is, is coming true. And it's like you can have a doom and gloom output outlook. It's, it's, it's important to keep a positive uh, outlook. I mean, you know, wildlife conservation has faced many difficult challenges before. And, uh, and we've always found a way, uh, you know, to work our way out of it. And I think eventually we will for CWD too. But I think CWD, just because of the nature of the disease, it's going to be a long, drawn-out battle to be able to uh, get it to, to turn. Um, but um, there's there's several other things that, that hunters can do. Uh, is, is One is if you're in a state that is CWD positive or in a state like South Carolina that doesn't, if you see a deer that's behaving strangely or, or sick, uh, or you find a fresh carcass of a deer that appeared to die because it was sick, you know, report it to the official wildlife agency right away. Uh, you know, what uh, most states will do is they'll specifically target uh, sampling of reported sick deer. Uh, and so then they can help try to see if that deer actually had CWD. So that's one thing that you can really do that's very important. Uh, and also, if you're traveling uh, to a, a portion of your state that you're not familiar or another state, make sure to check to see what the CWD status is for that area. Uh, so you can make sure that you're following the prescribed rules and restrictions and guidance that the state agency may have uh, for hunters that hunt there. Uh, the, the other big thing is, 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 like we already talked about, you know, don't eat your venison until you have it tested if you're uh, hunting in a CWD zone. Um, if, uh, if you travel out of state, uh, you know, with other hunters, make sure you, if, you know how it is, Ralph, is you're with a group of guys and usually there's one guy that knows more about the others in the group because he's got his homework. Well, don't keep that to yourself. <laughs> Share that information and, and educate uh, your buddies and those around you because, you know, that, that's really important uh, from keeping them from making a mistake, which is really important. Um, and the other thing too, is I do this, you know, I hunt in uh, Northern Missouri, which is, you know, CWD positive is, uh, you know, keep the name, uh, of the and phone number of the, the biologist, state biologist and, and, uh, local game board in your phone. So you can contact them, uh, depending if you have questions or if you see things, uh, it's, it's really important. Um, uh, and another thing too, is, you know, how hunters live and discuss in certain circles, um, and unfortunately, and I know it still happened because there's been cases that have come up, there are still some that are illegally transporting live deer across state lines, uh, which basically puts uh, those herds at risk. Uh, there may be some hunters that are not uh, skull uh, capping and deboning their meat and bringing it in and then disposing of that, you know, in the woods. So if you know anything like that's going on, you need to report that because, uh, you know, unless someone steps up, uh, and stops it, it's going to continue. And it could continue to the point where it actually, you know, causes prevalence to occur in your state, which, of course, nobody wants that. Well, here's something, you know, just, just thinking out loud, all right? And and that is you, you shoot a deer, and this is, think about this, Pete and Vicky. I mean, you shoot a deer, you're deboning it yourself, right? You've got the rest of the carcass, you live next to a farm or you live on a farm, and you have an area that you throw all your 
The bone, of, it's all, a boneyard. It's a boneyard. Next thing you know, you didn't have CWD, but you took that deer from a different state. You didn't realize it. You throw that carcass over in your boneyard, and boom. Boom. We, yep. we as hunters who, want, who are trying to protect all this, literally just contaminated our area. You know, you don't think of that. Yeah, and and there's no way that you would have known that you were doing that intentionally. No, right? No, it's not know? intentional. But but one thing comes to my mind too is the taxidermists in other states. They're just taking our word for it where we got it. If we brought it from a CWD area, but we know we weren't supposed to bring it in illegal, I may say I killed this in Oklahoma instead of in Colorado. You know, with the, which is a really red state here. Um, and so then the taxidermist has to dispose of all that stuff. And they're disposing it wherever, even if they're taking right. it to a landfill or wherever that, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure what taxidermists do with all those carcasses. But but uh, there's so many ways that we could accidentally be spreading it without knowing it. So I think the key word here there is to be intentional, to make sure, to double check, triple check, to be intentional that we are doing what, whatever we can as an individual. Well, it's like Steve said, you know, we have to police our, our own. Right. Right. Literally, you know, because I, I know a hot subject here in the state of Illinois, okay? And that is, um, how do you bring, the, I'm going to just bring it up, Steve. And that is certain areas they found, if they found a positive, the state comes in and even though it's illegal to bait, they'll put bait out. They'll put corn or, or a pile of corn on a neighbor that gives them access. And then the game warden or someone, you know, that, 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 is qualified through the state, they do some sharpshooting. Now, we, for a fact, and you, you, right, Vicky? I mean, we've heard the rumors. People say, man, I just, saw, I, I just saw the, I just saw the DNR, you know, their, their truck and they had a trailer with 47 deer on it. You, you know what I yeah, mean? And, yeah. It doesn't happen that <laughs> and, way. We know we were with, you know, Steve, Steve, one of our good game wardens had 41 hours, 41 hours sitting over a bait pile. In northwestern Illinois here, and shot one doe. Right. One doe. And so, but, but the the surrounding landowners hear that and panic. Right, Steve? I mean, they, they panic and they, they don't want the, the Division of Wildlife to come in and shoot any of their deer. Yeah, so they don't want to report a sick deer because yes. they're afraid that something's going to happen and all of a sudden DNR is going to come in there and tell them they got to wipe all the deer herd out. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, I can tell you for a fact we know that's going on. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, the, yep. And it, that's you know that's you know I, I was going to get to that a little later, but but to me that's the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about um, is uh, you know what what it basically comes. I'll, I'll give you kind of a a, a scenario. Is um is uh you know in my my opinion the the elephant in the room is basically the great opportunity cost that will be required to that landowners hunters and those that lease and outfitters that they're going to have to endure uh, by making the decision to to reduce the deer population now to to you know so that so it doesn't spread um, and if uh, if you think about it. And this will happen, like the scenario you just explained, you know, uh, this is a huge, I real, you think about the decision that you have to make is, is say, well, if we, we do nothing. We can just basically hold our ground. Don't let the state come in here. Don't, don't adhere to uh, enhance uh, analyst harvest recommendations and, and not shoot all these yearling bucks and all the things that 
the state may want you to do uh, to help uh, minimize the spread. But, you know, here you have an outfitter that is leasing property, and that's, say, this, that's his biggest revenue producer. You have a landowner that bought that 2,000 acres just to deer hunt, and you have the, the leasee that's been leasing that property for 15 years and finally got it to where you want it. And now everything's going to change, and within two years, you've lost everything. And then you say, well, if I just don't participate, I still may get five or ten years of good hunting out of it uh, before CWD runs its course, and then you don't have the age structure anymore anyway. Uh, and so these are some of the things. This is a fictitious scenario that I just described, but it's a real-life situation that a lot of people are having to deal with right now. And, and so, so, you know, what do you do? Do you, do, do you buckle down? And it's almost like I, I talk about it as like you got the devil on one shoulder and you got the angel on the other shoulder. You know, and, the, and the devil's telling you to be, uh, you know, uh, selfish. And the angel's saying, no, you need to do your part for wildlife conservation. Um, and, uh, but, you know, if you do, if you, if you listen to the angel, you're basically, you're, the way you like to hunt or like the way you and I like to hunt, uh, Ralph, and those older age uh, structure bucks and whatnot, that's, that'll go away immediately. It's gone, yeah. Uh, it'll be gone forever because this disease and how long it takes, in our lifetime, you'll never, once, once that happens, in our lifetime, it'll never change. And it may be several lifetimes. That's, that's the consequences of this, of this disease. But, but then if you think about it from being selfish, it says, you know, uh, you know, what, how do I know that the, the great deer hunting I've had for the last five years isn't because someone 30 miles away from me took one for the team for me? So here's my you question, because you had said that it takes like 18 to 24 months for it to incubate. So then automatically you're looking at a year and a half, two-year-old deer if it actually got it while it was a fawn. So what you're saying, basically, that's why it's looking like it's the older, the more mature animals that are actually getting the CWD? Uh, well, yes, it, you know, what the thing is, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, is how CWD affects population. And, and that's a really loaded, uh, uh, question is, uh, it, you know, because we know that it's an 18 to 24 month, uh, incubation, you know, right. incubation period. Um, like on, uh, if you think about a lot of, uh, highly productive lands, uh, you know, east of the Mississippi, say the, the Midwest. We know that those herds are really highly productive. Uh, you know, twinning is very common uh, in, in does from one and a half years old and older. Seventy-five percent of the fawns will uh, reproduce. So, on on those type of habitats and populations, if if you had seventy-five percent uh, prevalence of CWD in the population, and every deer died when they were three and a half years old. There's so much recruitment coming from the fawns, one and a half and two and a half. You could still have a really high population of deer because they're not showing symptoms until they've had the disease uh, for, you know, up to two years. And so, unfortunately, so you could have really still high, robust populations with just a very low age structure when you have really good habitat. But if you have real poor habitat, like a lot of the lower coastal plain habitats of the southeast, in mountainous areas, they have real low recruitment, and usually just about zero percent. Especially those areas that have really late uh, breeding season, you have no fawns breeding, and one and a half uh, will maybe have singletons, and two and a half will be the first year that you may have twenty. So you have such low recruitment in those areas. If all deer died when they were three and a half years old, 
there's not enough recruitment effort from the individuals left in the population to sustain that population, then you're going to have a population crash. So depending on what part of the country you live in is what will end up happening with CWD once the prevalence rate gets really high. Okay. All right. Now here's, now you got me really going. All right. Now, Steve, here's a question. The largest, most populated state, not only for hunters, but deer, is it not Texas? I think it's number one, right? Okay. Yep. Texas, the majority of that whole state, I mean, does, does protein, does corn, does all types of feeding 365 days a year. Yet, are they, they're not seeing this issue, are they? There is some uh, spots in the wild, and there are some spots um, in captivity in Texas. Uh, but, you know, based on the things you just, descri- you just described, it doesn't nearly have the reported prevalence uh, that you may expect. Uh, so, you know, Texas is looking pretty good right now uh, in regards to what we know uh, the prevalence is, you know. We'll be right back with more Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast with your host, Pete Rogers. Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast is brought to you by TrueGlow. TrueGlow is committed to providing their customers with innovative products containing quality and value-added features for archery, crossbow, and firearms. Now, anytime you shop at TrueGlow.com, you can enter a promo code OFFGRID20 and receive 20% off of your purchase. This is a special offer for our Off-Grid Podcast listeners. How awesome is that? TrueGlow, when brightness counts, count on TrueGlow. Welcome back to Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast with your host, Pete Rogers. We're coming to you from the Hunter's Blend Coffee Studio. Now, let's get back into this week's show. And I, I guess this this is just me being me. <laughs> and, you know, that could screw up everything. But, uh, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second that. Yeah, go on, everybody. Steve, you didn't even back that one up. But, um, uh, but, but I, I, <laughs> I do better. <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy. But, but I, I, I guess what, what, where I'm having a, a little glitch mentally is, so, so here's Texas, who, who feeds on a regular basis, who puts out tons, tons of protein. And I mean, I love, I love Texas. There's nothing, I, I'm, I hope this isn't taken on a negative connotation at all, but how come they're not having the issue yet where, where we are and, and others that maybe don't feed, state of Illinois, you can't feed at all, you know, but the states that are baiting, they're they're seeing it, but Texas isn't. Is it? Is it, why is that? Well, remember, baiting baiting doesn't cause uh, the disease to occur. I mean, if you have the disease, baiting could enhance uh, the risk of uh, greater transmission rates uh, and spread of the disease. So you know, you could Texas could bait all they want, but if there's no disease present, the baiting doesn't you know make things worse. Uh, it's only if you have the disease. And, uh, and a lot of people have to understand, too, is, is they don't understand, like in the scenario you described, uh, Ralph, where DNR came in and had bait stations and then uh, to, to shoot the deer, but they wouldn't let the hunters bait. Well, it, it's, a, it's basically the risk assessment there. What, what this, those states are doing is for a very short amount of time, they're putting bait on the ground because it's more important to remove deer than it is for the risk of maybe increasing some transmission at those sites. And then they'll come in after 
and they'll actually remove uh, the residual bait in the soil. So there's, if there was any infected deer at that site, that they're removing those prions. So, you know, they're doing things in as a responsible manner as possible, and they're just measuring the risks. It's, hey, if we're better off baiting temporarily because we can remove more deer, reduce the population. We feel that's going to reduce the risk of spreading the disease more than by doing the baiting, you know. So it's, it's a... That's, that's kind of. I think the, okay. I think the key word that I'm hearing there is the word spreading of the disease. Whereas if right. it's not there, then the baiting's not going to spread it because it's not there, right? Exactly. So because that's the big thing in South Carolina, we can bait across our entire state on private land, but again, we don't have CWD. But it's it, it it's like, well, do we need to stop baiting to keep it out? But if it's not present, then you're not spreading it. You're not spreading, right? So, so, so baiting in and of itself, or or or, or the is not the is cause. The, or the close proximity of saliva and eating is not the cause, right? It's it's going to be the go, go ahead. And, and no, I was going to say, and Pete, we were talking before we got on the phone with Steve. You were talking how they were changing your laws about lures, yes, about scents, yes, yes. Which is uh, just to get the the uh, listener up to date in uh, July or August of of this year, they passed a law that said that we could not use any natural urine as a lure or a scent. Deer, so deer synthetic urine. now. We can only use either what you harvest yourself from this from an animal so, from a local. Yeah, deer. so if I kill a, a doe and I want to harvest the uh, the urine out of the doe, then I can use that. Or I can use a synthetic urine, but I can't go purchase urine off the shelf because we don't know where that's coming from. Okay. okay. Yep. We don't yep. know if the farm that it came from has CWD or not. Gotcha. So that's how they're stopping it from coming in, or at least one, one of the efforts that they're making. And it was done, you know, this past summer, and it was effective immediately. And so here's my question for you, because when they passed it, I think when we were talking about it, you were kind of like, why would they do that? But now just talking to Steve for a little bit, it's actually making sense. Well, it it made sense that they passed it. What, what, what right. didn't make sense, and I think what upset most of the hunters locally was the timing, was they did it right before the opening of the season, whereas people had already purchased all that stuff ahead of time. You know, whereas it would just seem like if they were going in this direction, they would have passed the law in January. In January or March or something, as as opposed to, you know, basically the 1st of August, and our season opens August 15th. And and that's what made hunters so upset wasn't the passing of the law. It was the timing. And also, we've already bought all this stuff. And, you know, it's expensive. Right. Came out like $9 an ounce or more, depending on the brand. Um, but, yeah, I think to what Ralph said is it makes sense now is that if we don't bring it in, then we can't spread it. Yeah, they, they've done some research to show that, uh, you know, natural urine, uh, they, they, they have found some prions uh, in the natural urine, even though it's, it's very low. Uh, and we don't know what load of prions are required to actually infect the deer. That's some of the research that still needs to be done. But they know that there is some present. So, you know, let's minimize all risks that we have control over. Uh, you know, and so that's why those laws are being passed in many states. All right. Um, so so here's here's a good question. Here's the state of Illinois. You can't put mineral out. You can't put feed. I, I no, mean, nothing. Huh? No, you can't put no anything. Salt blocks no, or no, no year oh, wow. at any time of the season. Um, but for the states or the provinces that that, you know, ha- have it that it's that it is legal. W- Steve, would it be a better procedure 
for those hunters or those outfitters to keep that 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 food source that you you know that 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 food source in a in a trough instead of on the ground is would is is there any study or any research that w- would that help a little bit you you know instead of yeah you know the thing is Ralph as I really don't think it's it's the food is 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 not the issue just say that you had it in a trough well so you have a point source where all those deer are coming to one trough well, all those deer are urinating, defecating, all right in that proximal area. That's where the prions are being shed. So, you know, if you, it doesn't really matter. It's just anything that concentrates deer into a point source. Uh, so it is a concentrated level of prions on the ground or in the water at that location. And then there's something attractive there that's bringing a bunch of deer to that one place where they could get infected. So that's what all these laws are trying to and that's why you know the not allowing bedding or or uh, salt blocks and you know and really is, is if I think about it is uh you know you asked the question before that deer do a lot of things naturally that put themselves at risk licking branch instance. yeah licking branches and scrape sites and you know and you know as well as I do I mean you know uh, we have uh, cameras on uh you know scrape sites and it's, it amazes me how many deer of all sexes and ages. Uh, frequent those traditional spray sites. I mean, it's like like every deer in this 200-acre woods come to that one spray. Yes, sir. So they're all putting themselves at risk just based on their natural behavior. Well, they don't come know? by whenever I'm sitting over the scrape. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever. Well, here's what's funny. You, you know, I, I've been an advocate forever. Water, food covering water. Right. You, you right. know what I mean? And, and we create water sources where we've never had any. Yet, if you think about it, now that you're saying you were starting to question, should we do I'm that? I'm starting to question, is that a good thing too? You, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm putting a little, a little water source up on top of a ridge that's never had water. I'm sort of helping the, helping the wildlife come out of a food source. Come, you know, they're feeding all night. They come into the timber. Instead of them going down to the creek line where my wind is at a disadvantage for me, I'm putting the water source up on top so I can control the wind better. And, you know, I, I have all these deer coming to this, I don't know, you know, t- t- 10 by 20 foot water hole. <laughs> am I, am I hurting something? Yeah. You know, Ralph, how I look at it, it's probably not. Because if you, if you look across the landscape, there's probably hundreds and thousands of those same scenarios that are natural, uh, that are concentrating deer to water sources that are, are small places like that. So, in, uh, and if you think about it too, is uh, where I hunt in Missouri is cattle country. Uh, and so, a lot of the needs that farmers do to, to meet uh, the cattle's needs uh, also are meeting whitetail's needs. Uh, you know, water sources, uh, you know, they're putting out mineral licks. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and so the deer are coming to those mineral licks. I mean, you look about pastures like on the farm that I hunt, um, you know, the, they put out traditional mineral lick sites for the cattle. And then they rotate the cattle to a different pasture, and now there's no cattle in that pasture anymore. And the only thing that's coming to those mineral blocks uh, are, are the deer. Wildlife. I yep. mean, so, so you know, even though um, it's re- the amount of that happening is reduced by hunters not being allowed to do it, it's still happening uh, very much so uh, because of normal cattle operations. And so I, I don't know how much those laws are really doing 
to slow the spread um, on areas like like what I'm talking about, where it's happening so much already because of animal other animal husbandry, you know. Um, so it's it's going to be really site specific on how much that helps. Okay. Yeah, and that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. I mean, Ooh. yeah, we have been. Uh, Wow, this has gone, wow. these wow. 50 minutes have gone really, really fast. There's so much. Is that 50 minutes already? Yeah, yeah. it is. And we could keep asking. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Steve, before we even I have think a lot about, of questions. Yes. Um, you know, there, this topic alone, I think, can consume many hours. And, and we can't thank you enough to, to, to finally speak to someone that is not only educated on a biological standpoint, but a hunter that you, you, you know what I mean that sees it on on, a, on an everyday basis in the timber. Um, we, we definitely want want to continue this, um, and also I, I, I'm going to bring up another subject, even though it wasn't even you know we were talking about it at all, and and that is this EHD. So I, I'd love us to eventually bring that into, you know, another Absolutely. another podcast, Absolutely. because I, I know there's a lot of panic on, on that aspect as well as CWD. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring up EHD. EHD probably has a much greater uh, short term immediate impact on deer hunting and deer populations uh, than uh, CWD. CWD has a much bigger, long-lasting impact, uh, but from year to year, EHD is far greater uh, of an impact on deer populations. I mean, we see it all the time in the areas where I hunt the Midwest. So. Oh, yeah, we've seen uh, it too, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, so in other words, before we, before we have Pete close all this, is I just, right now we have two strikes, <laughs> CWD, EHD. Give us something positive, buddy. <laughs> Tell us some, well, tell us some good news that's happening yeah, in, the, in the in the whitetail world. Well, the, the good news is if you look at certain states uh, that have had CWD for quite a while, uh, you know, the, 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 they, I won't say they contained the, the spread of the disease, but the harvest management that they've implemented has really slowed it down. Uh, so, you know, that's very encouraging. Uh, there's a, a lot of research that's going on that we can that can help us uh, try to figure. Out. You know, the one the worst case scenario is is do we have to wait for um, you know, evolution to, to take its course uh, in in deer uh, basically through natural selection process uh, to be able to overcome or survive the disease? You know, I, I don't know. The, the the problem with that is because this has such a long incubation period. Deer populations continue to con, con, continue to thrive, and so natural selection processes don't have to occur because there's still a lot of deer. They were all dying, and only the ones that could survive it survived. And then it started to change the genetic makeup. That's one thing, but with this disease, it doesn't do that, and so that makes uh, the, the whole natural selection uh, scenario seem kind of guys you scratch your head on that one you know <laughs> yeah it's it's there there's a wow. there's so many things running through my head right now oh. i know my head is just like so ready to many explode. questions there's you know? so much and and to think 
how humbling this is because I, I thought I was a little bit knowledgeable in CWD. I didn't know anything. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, you have just. No, we're definitely going to have to call you, you back have up. You really yes, enlightened me personally on so much about this, Steve. And I, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. And listeners, we're going to get Steve back on here really soon. And we're going to dive into this even deeper. We have just a, just pages of questions that we need to ask. Well, I, I got to give a plug for my buddy, too. You, you know what I mean? And that is, you know, Steve, you, you've helped us tremendously through the years to be better better land managers here at home. And, and even in Iowa, you know, when we had the farm in Iowa, and, and I just want to put out there, folks, listen, you, you can reach out and talk to Steve. And, I mean, th- this guy is 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 a wealth of knowledge and experience. And again, he is a true hunter. He, he knows, I mean, he, he's in it every day. And, you know, to, to, to get him to come and look at your land and would be an investment that you will cherish for as long as you have that land. I'm just, I, tell you, I just want yeah, to put that and out. And I tell you what we'll do is we'll is. put his contact information in our show notes yep. so that when yep. people uh, go to wherever they're listening, it'll be in the show notes, the contact information he gives us. Right. Email, website yeah, or something yeah, there. Whatever he wants to give us so that people can contact him directly. Right. right. And we also need to say that because we do want to have you back here, Steve, that any of any listeners that are you know tuned in right now, if you have questions that you want to know about CWD or EHD or anything else that maybe Steve could help us out with, please send us the questions right. and we'll right. ask. Absolutely. Yep. We'll build a, build a bank of questions that, that our listeners want to know about, and we'll be able to ask those as well. Um, uh, Steve, do you have any uh, closing comments that uh, you that we forgot to mention before I kind of wrap this up? Yeah, just, just one thing. I know when you introduced me, it sounded like you were insinuating I was a world authority on chronic wasting disease. You're I, not? I am not by far. Oh, I mean, don't bust my so bubble, many. man. Come on. Oh, come on now. Now you're being <laughs> modest. Uh, I mean. No, no. I mean, I, I know a lot about CWD and have given several talks on it, but th- there's some, uh, you know, scientists out there that are world renowned in regards to chronic wasting disease. You know, I, I know my share of it, but I'm by no far, by far a world authority on it. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the big thing, and, and, and Ralph, you know, I'm, I'm a, a you know, devout Christian person. And, uh, you know, when it comes to us making the, the right decision on, on how we want to contribute to the management of this disease, you just have to ask yourself, you know, what, what would God want me to do in regards to my responsibility? And how I look at it, you treat the wildlife resource and the other hunters uh, that you respect just like you would anyone else uh, in, in your family. And, and, and if you look at it that way, you write, you make the right decision on what to do. Wow. Amen That's on that, buddy. Great, Absolutely. Great wow. way to wrap yep. that up, Steve. I really appreciate that so much. Uh, again, this is Steve Shea. Uh, who's joined us today, wildlife biologist, and uh, we've been talking about chronic wasting disease. There's so much about this that uh, that we could get into. So uh, if you've enjoyed the show, leave some comments, uh, send us some questions. Uh, we're going to get Steve back on here again really soon, and we're going to dive into this a whole lot more. But for now, that's going to wrap up this episode of Ralph and Vicky's Off Grid Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Rogers, and until next time, uh, just uh, uh, make sure and subscribe, share it, tell everybody about it, and uh, we'll be back with some more episodes real soon. Thanks for listening. Ralph and Vicki's Off-Grid Podcast is proudly brought to you by Browning. Not all guns suit everyone perfectly, but there is a perfect Browning shotgun for you. Browning, the best there is. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you come back again for more Ralph and Vicky's Off-Grid Podcast with your host, Pete Rogers. 